just a bloke in a bar. Greetsy and welcome to another episode of a Bloke in a Bar. Greetsy, you may be wondering, Kempi, have you lost your mind or are you speaking another language fluently? Well, <laughs> it would be the latter. I am now fluent in, uh, it's essentially German, but in a Swiss, Swiss, uh, Swiss, Swiss, uh, Swiss kind of tank. So Switzerland, I'm obviously in Zurich, guys. Uh, and Greetsy is, is hello, essentially. Now, you may be wondering, that sounds a lot like greeting. And yeah, I have deducted that that's where we got the word greeting from. Is there any facts behind that? No, absolutely not. Uh, but did I tell my missus so that I looked really smart? Yeah, I did. Uh, anyway, we've got the great Gurino and Timmy here. Boys, what a weekend of footy talk. I, I mean, for so many weeks, you're sitting there going, ooh, it's so good that these younger, that these, these uh, lower tier teams are, are getting opportunities. But at the same time, you're sitting there going, this is getting tough to watch. Um, even though we know that long-term it is great for the game they get these opportunities. Then we get to this weekend, and yeah, oh yeah, now I realise why the World Cup is important. Now I realise, like, okay, there, you know, there are times when I, I wish that we had some more competitive games, but far out. At least two of the games this weekend, one of the, some of the best games we've watched all year in regards to tension, in regards to what was on the line. Guru, how you going, brother? I'm going good, mate. I'm stoked to see you in a room. I'm uh, not heaps jealous that I'm not in just quietly. It's uh, <laughs> unreal or not a balcony or something. Uh, makes well, me feel I got, great. I, I got kicked out of the uh, the hotel room. The missus wanted to sleep in. It's uh, just on 7 a.m. here. So, you know, and obviously I had to get up at around 5, 30, 6 o'clock. And uh, let's just say she wasn't keen on listening to another podcast. At <laughs> Shock me. <laughs> uh, Timmy, mate, how you going, brother? Campy, mate, I think I'm in the, the best room in the world. I'm surrounded by cases of bloke beer, and I couldn't be happier about <laughs> it. So uh, pretty happy. And, and as you said, on the footy, it's, you're right. The, the group stage was fantastic. I love so many great moments from it. But we got through to the knockout uh, on the weekend, and there was just some ripping footy. All, all the time and development put into these sort of lower-tier nations over the years. We saw Samoa and Tonga play an absolute belter overnight. Uh, we saw Fiji nearly knock off the Kiwis for the second consecutive World Cup. Could easily have gone the other way. Uh, it was an awesome weekend of footy, and I'm keen to get stuck into it. Also, Legionnaire hats due to incredible demand. And I don't know whether it's trolling because, look, do I look the best in those hats? Not really. But they are utilitarian if I ever saw one. Uh, people absolutely loving the Legionnaire hat. So we've decided, you know what? We were going to drop them a bit later in the, the month. You can see the great Gurino there uh, holding them up. We're going to drop them later in the month. We thought, you know what? We're going to drop them at 6 p.m. on Wednesday. There's a limited amount. It is not a pre-sale. Once you order them, they come out in the, you know two to four days max. Usually, it's not a pre-sale. So pre-sale, when we say pre-sale, it means that we take the orders and then we print the amount to the orders. But when we say sale, it means we've got a certain amount and once they're gone, they are gone. Legionnaire hats, so good for summer. Um, and people are absolutely keen as anything from them. That is 6 p.m. Wednesday. Be there, limited amount, Legionnaire hats. That is on bloke.shop. We've also got a bunch of other stuff. We've still got some Bloke Nation shirts. We've still got the cricket summer um, drop as well with the Tonkin cherries, the good areas. We've got the floppy hats that a lot of people are wearing. That's at bloke.shop. And they're already on the store. So if you want to go get them right now, Head to bloke.shop. You can grab a bunch of great stuff on the shop for summer. Um, yeah. Now, uh, let's get into the first big topic quickly. Uh, NRL-CBA deal. Not done yet. Not done yet. Really interesting. Um, look, this is uncharted territory in my recent memory. I've never – I can't remember a time when we've gone into a season, a preseason at the very least, where no CBA deal has been agreed to. On top of all of that, all of the club's licenses expire at the end of this year. 
And Abdo, I think, has come out and said this may take 12 months to get done. Uh, look, this is this is not good. This is actually could be disastrous because look, the hard thing the hard thing about this is, you know, you've got one side that is is business minded, and you've got one side that is business and rugby league minded. So it's it's a it's almost like conflicting because you've got the the NRL who is essentially the like the purpose of business, and we can go into deeper things about you know capitalism and late stage capitalism if you want, Guru. But the purpose of business is almost <laughs> infinite growth. Guru, if you want to go there, we can go there, baby. Uh, <laughs> How could he tell? But, How did he know? <laughs> yeah, I knew you loved that shit. Dude. I knew it. I knew it. I saw your eyes just perk up. Capitalism, <laughs> socialism. I knew it. Um, but the, I guess so. The, the some would say the concern with business is the fact that it is just about infinite growth. It's about infinite profit. You, you, your own, your only goal. So let's say you've got shareholders; they want as much money as possible. Then you've got your workers who are like, well. You know, they obviously want to be paid well, but they also want a good standard of work. They also want to be out of blah, blah, blah. You know, anyway, I'm sure all the listeners know about uh, capitalism and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and anyway, so you've got the NRL sitting there going, we are trying to make this the most squeaky clean business run with the biggest margins run. And, you know, we don't want to be giving out money to other people that aren't spending it the way we want to spend it. So you've got that side of things. Then you've got the the NRL side of things, as in, sorry, the rugby league club side of things that, you know, they're the workers, they're the technical, essentially contractors to the NRL to a degree. So they want a certain standard of uh, work environment. They want a certain set of uh, capital funds to make their clubs run well. And so this is where they clash. Now, the problem in negotiations, and I've, I've learned this firsthand in, in my uh, short business career, is that one of the, you know, first negotiation tactics is dragging things out dragging things out you've got one side that may need money desperately you've got another side that doesn't need money right now because they're flush with a bit of cash the longer you drag it out the more desperate one side will become then the more that they will be willing to take less um, but there's very smart people on both sides they're aware of this so we're just seeing a basically two businesses ruthlessly negotiating the problem is is that rugby league is a little bit different to a standard business uh, anyway, now that you uh, have your degree in business, uh, what do you think, Guru? <laughs> Definitely know more now than I did five minutes ago, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> mate, I just, uh, I mean, I remember us sitting down and talking about this three months ago, saying, surely it's got to be around the corner. I just, I cannot believe, and you've, you've got a much better understanding than me of all this stuff, if that wasn't <clears throat> completely fucking evident in the last <laughs> two and a half minutes. But I just, I can't believe how long this is dragging out for. And, you know, the handful of players that I've had conversation with about this, they can't believe it either, mate. It's crazy. Mm. Yeah, it really is. And that's that's the thing you see. You see the human side of thing. And, and look, a lot of people go through this at work. You know, you sign deals with your employer as a, as a tradie or whatever. And, you know, they get to the point where you just need the money to, to pay for your family so you're like you're willing to take whatever um i, I agree mate like I, I can't i cannot believe it's gotten to this stage and the real concern i have is is that this is this is the way i see this unfolding if it doesn't get sorted players like this is this is the worst case scenario guys i'm not being not saying this is going to happen but this is where it could lead players and clubs strike then there's a massive media push about how ungrateful the players and the clubs are. Then there's a push from the club side. And then it's just this massive fucking drama. I pray it doesn't get to that. Timmy, what do you think about the whole situation? 
Yeah, mate, I, I spent the first few minutes of that just, just Googling uh, definitions of a few of the words you were dropping throughout <laughs> that. But no, nah, it, it's pretty, con- it's not pretty, it's very concerning, Kempi. And if it does stretch out and the NRL decide to play the long game, to stretch this deal out, to make things work for them because they've got the, the finances to do so uh, and it sort of forces the NRL clubs into a bit of a corner and they don't get what they want in the deal, it's just going to cause more problems down the track. So uh, as a rugby league fan, I just pray to God that both sides come out of this completely satisfied with the result. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating few months to see how it all unfolds. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I hope both sides come out a winner. Um, and I, I would just say if we start seeing articles about ungrateful clubs, ungrateful players, and just you know, obviously you, you can have your own opinion on them, whatever you want, but just be aware that there may be certain narratives that benefit certain people, whether it's from the club's perspective, whether the clubs are being, you know, painting the NRL in a bad light or whether it's the NRL painting, whatever it is. Um, just be aware of the, the, the kind of undercurrents of what may be happening. I, the last thing I want, and I, you guys know that I am obviously an ex-player. I'm obviously le- biased towards players. Like that's, they, they are my community. That's, they, they essentially gave me everything that I have. Um, so I understand that you're going to say, there's going to be some people that be like, you know, the players are this, that, and the next thing. But I would just ask just to maybe realize that these guys are employees that have worked their whole life to get where they're at. And, you know, when you start saying that footy players are entitled or whatever, you know, we never say doctors are entitled and yet a footy player has worked for far longer than a doctor ever worked to get his degree. You know, a doctor, when he was five years old, wasn't going down to a doctor's lesson on the Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, like learning to be a doctor from five years all the way till he was 20. Um, And also a doctor earns way more over his life than a a rugby league player does. So I just, I just ask for that. I'm not saying, I'm not telling you what to think or what opinion. I just have some uh, understanding of where the players may be coming from because it, it's not looking good right now. The fact that we are literally going into a season where they don't even know what a salary cap is and that all of their license expire next year. Plus the, like the Panther CEO has come out quite strongly and been like, you know, we really don't agree with how this, what's going on. And if he, you know, if they think we're going to back down, we're not, um, so it's getting, it's ratcheted up. It's ratcheted up and it's just not good for the game. It really isn't. So fingers crossed, both parties can walk out of this. Um, yeah, I guess happy. And, and we don't, the, the, the last thing, the thing that I want is like, obviously I want the players because like they have families. Everyone has families. Everyone's working where are. But the fans shouldn't be punished because of negotiations over X's and O's. You know, that's that's the last thing that I, I, I really hope happens where the fans get punished. But that's that's worst case scenario, guys. I think it probably gets sorted, you know, hopefully before kickoff next this well, next season, but it's this season. Uh, anything else on, on the, the topic, boys? Is there a legitimate chance that we might kick off the season <coughs> and it's still not done, Kempi? Well, Abdo has literally come out and said this may take 12 months. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it said said in the article that there's a high chance that it could be a 2024 CBA deal. Yeah, it's just not good, man. It's it's really, really not good. And that's why I'm, like, concerned that we may see some action from from employees, which are obviously the players. Um, You know, and and as as I explained earlier, like, it's it's hard because, you know, the NRL is a business. They are trying to maximise profits and minimise costs. And, you know, clubs who renown to not make that much money and lose, well, most of them lose money, 
they're trying to survive. And so you've got two conflicting interests with a bunch of employees. And, and so, as I said, go into deeper arguments about capitalism and whether it's uh, fair on certain parties or whatever, but that's just the reality situation. You've got two businesses that have two conflicting needs and wants. The problem is, is that like the two businesses, usually you can, you both have something that the other, other person wants and you can come to an agreement. And, and I guess the concern when these negotiations happen is that is one side asking too much? Is one side put themselves almost in a, too much of a position of power where they can afford to just be like, nah, nah, nah. Um, I, I always believe a good negotiation is when everyone's happy. I don't, I, I don't like a negotiation where once a one party walks away just out of desperation and they took whatever they could get. You know, I don't think that's conducive to a good environment in regards to rugby league as a game. Uh, anyway, let's get back to the rugby league talk, shall we? Uh, Garrick resigns with Manly. Garrick resigns with Manly. This is fantastic resigning. I will say that, you know, Ola Kawatu also re-signed, uh, I think, like in the last couple of weeks or yeah, so. Yeah, yep, he did. Uh, and so, even though this offseason has been disastrous for the Seagulls, the fact of the matter is they've managed to keep some pretty big names. So, they can't be that unhappy. They can't be that unhappy. What do you reckon, Guru? Sorry, they also re-signed Jason Saab as well. Yeah. 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 yeah, so so despite well, yeah. how dysfunctional it may look and how, you know, there's obviously a lot of decisions that I can't really make sense of over there at Manly, mate. As you said, there are a lot of thing, a lot of good things going on there. Uh, I was really worried that Garrick was going to go to Newcastle and I wouldn't have liked that move personally. I understand he had the lure of playing fullback, but I, I, I thought it was a matter of time until he ended up back on the wing because they'd move KP back to fullback eventually. So I love him staying at the Manly Seagulls. We're hearing that he might play left centre next year, uh, which I haven't seen Garrick playing in the centres, so I'm not sure if I can really comment on it. But I don't know about you, Kempi and Timmy, but I just think he's such a good winger. I, I would just love to see him master his craft out there. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I, I kind of feel like we've gotten to the stage, aside from a few standouts, like is winger a more important and valuable position than, than centre at the moment with the way the game is played. I I kind of feel like unless you're Joey Manu or Latrell Mitchell, um, wingers impact the game so much now where it's like, I kind of feel like you put your money there. I mean, put it this way, would would you ever move Toa, like, you know, to get him more ball? Whereas I feel like, you know, maybe 10 to 15 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, you would move your strike players into that centre position. You know, your, your, your Gazniers, your Coopers, your Hodges, your GIs when he was there. Whereas I kind of feel like your strike players are really your wingers now. What, what do you reckon, Timmy? Oh, definitely, mate. And we spoke about it I mean, last week or the week before. I think, yeah, when we're talking about Campbell Graham and the, the chance of him potentially shifting back to the wing. And 10 years ago, it was a case of moving players closer to the action to get them more, more good ball, particularly in attack. Uh, but nowadays, for all those reasons that we speak about week in, week out, with how important wingers are to sides, particularly their yardage coming out of their own half, um, it's such a vital... And they're also, you know, they're running 20, 25 times a game. Centres, you know, the average one's probably having, you know, eight to ten runs a game. Uh, so the switch doesn't uh, make a lot of sense to me. Really fascinating one with Rubes. I don't know what uh, he re-signed for. I don't know if there's a figure out. They just had a bit of a look around and I couldn't see a number, but... It'd be interesting because he probably got overs for what a winger slash a centre is worth in, in the current market because, you know, he, he's 
obviously bypassed the opportunity to play fullback at another club in the NRL to stay at Manly, but Manly knowing that Tommy Trebojevic has been pretty brittle in the last three to four seasons, they have to have a quality Every club wants a quality replacement at fullback, but there's every chance, as much as I hate to say, that Tommy Turbo plays less than half a season next year on what we've seen recently. So they need someone to step into those boots. And uh, while Rubes has probably maybe turned in potentially a little bit of money elsewhere to play a fullback role, he's probably gotten overs to play as an outside back at Manly for that reason. Uh, and the other thing that came to mind with Ruben Garrick, and I don't want to dig up old wounds for Dragons fans, but I will. Just looking at them releasing, <laughs> I will anyway. Um, <laughs> the, how good he's been the last few seasons for Manly and the faith they put in him when he couldn't get a start down at the Dragons uh, and Reese Robson, another one in that boat. You're just sitting there going like, he could be reaping the rewards at the Dragons. Oh, could you imagine him at the Dragons at fullback right now? How much mm. they would love that? Oh, Like, it would be a godsend for them. Uh, I, I totally agree, Timmy. I think that you're, you're bang on the money in regards to Maybe it's a little overs for a winger, but at the same time, you know, Tommy, you have to, you have to have a backup good fullback. How many times have we seen where a player, whether it's a seven or a fullback, goes down and the team just looks like a totally different side? I will also say, really interesting, the length of the contract in regards to wingers don't get signed for four years. You know, like like wingers do. Brian Totter does. Uh, Josh Adokar does. But Ruben Garrick, who's just like probably a step down from them. So uh, personally, I just am so happy for Ruben Garrick that the fact that this year he he worked his ass off in a tough year and he was rewarded with it. I mean, honestly, in those last few games, he was barely being able to run. Like he his body was absolutely shot and he kept turning up. He kept trying to do his job. Um, and so I'm stoked for Ruben. And I think he's, he's a good clubman. He's good for the culture. He's very marketable. He's got cheekbones that won't quit, a smile from the, the gods. Um, they're all things that come into play in negotiations, guys. We talked about business earlier. <laughs> You're negotiating with a bloke with cheekbones as high as the Himalayas and smile at you with a, the god smile. You're going to give him a bit of extra coin. Um, so, yeah, I'm stoked for Garrick. I think it's a great signing for the club. I think he'll be one of those players where I think he'll be a one-club player and I think that he'll be one of those players that's like not a cult hero but just beloved by the locals, but he, he, he may not reach the superstar status of Tom Trevojevic or, or, or all that kind of stuff. But I think that the core fans of Manly will just, just you know, he's a goal kicker as well. Like, I, I really think they'll appreciate him. So I, I love the signing. I love Kempe, it. Kempi, it's not something you can understate either. As important a role as goal kicking is in our game, to have locked in a high quality goal kicker at that club for the next, what's he got a four year extension, so five years or something, just invaluable. Especially when you look around yeah. the rest of the system. Mm. I think the next best is. DCE, I would say. Yeah. So having Garrick for the next few years, it's huge. Yep, great signing. And and I don't think it would have broken the bank. I think that they would have been able to pull a bit on the fact that he seems to love Manly as an area. Uh bit of a yeah, bit of a, a beach boy or whatever. Um and, and in regards to your Dragons comments, absolutely. Like the fact that they let go of Saab, Garrick. Well, I know Saab, you know, agitated for a release or whatever, but like the fact that he wasn't playing and they hadn't got him in there, Garrick couldn't even get a run. Then you've got Robson. You, you just you look at that dragon side and you go far out. You've got some. You had some incredible youth coming through. How are you still struggling? Like to, like when you look at the, they haven't been exciting in the market. You know how is that still a thing when you've got literally? You, you could make the argument when it comes to juniors, the dragons are 
top three or top five? Is that am I being a hyperbolic here? I don't think so. It, it obviously is a very big region, but they do produce a lot of talent. But, I mean, you have a look at the town that he's from, um, Jeringong. That's where um, the Sims family's from. St. George lost all of them. Granted, Tarek came back eventually, but he's gone again. Tyron Wishart, he grew up there. Obviously, his old man lives there too, so they lost him. Ruben Garrick. So, whereas, you know, 15, 20 years ago, these guys never left the Red V. And the, the difference between what's happened uh, with, say, Robson and Garrick, and correct me if I'm wrong, very well, maybe as usual, but like young talent gets poached from clubs. From my memory, there wasn't a spot for these boys on their roster. And they, I'm not sure if they didn't want to keep them, but they weren't willing to dig in to keep these guys at the very least. They'd been let mm. go or they'd said, you know what, we're happy to let them go. Uh, and that's the difference. And, and I know hindsight's a very easy thing, but... These two blokes showed plenty of promise at a young age, in particular Robson, so it's a, oh, it's a tough one. Well, I agree with you in regards to hindsight for sure, but have we not seen a trend mm. of young Dragons players not necessarily reaching what we thought they would reach at the start? Like, for example, look at this year. Sloan comes out, explodes. And I'm not saying it's all the Dragons' fault. You could you could say, you know what, it's, it's Sloan. He didn't have a great attitude. I don't know whether he did. I'm just saying. I'm not saying it's all. But there does seem to be a bit of a trend of really good young talent that doesn't seem to be – they don't seem to be getting the best out of them yet. And I, it, there's so much that goes into it that, you know, we, we don't see. But, you know, did Sullivan get that much of an opportunity this year? Not really. Amone, he really kicked on towards the end of the year. But the start of the year, he was quite fairly quiet. Um, you know, then you've got uh, Ramsey that came on really well on the wing and then he struggled and he got dropped and then he got brought back in. And so there does seem to be this growing trend that they're really struggling to funnel these youth in and explode through. Compare that to the best in the comp, Tango, May. Uh, every young guy that comes in is just bo- like Taruva. Look at that junior development. Like, and these these guys all played in the same age groups and the same, like Queensland or New South Wales team. So they're not. Then it's not like those boys were just like so much better than them naturally. Not not at all. It's just this. Uh, you know, sorry to put the the boot into the dragons at the moment because you know it's a it's a tough time, but that's just the reality of the situation. That uh, unfortunately, right now their junior pathways just don't seem to be clicking the way they should be clicking. Um, anything else on that, boys? Yeah, no, you know, without putting the boot in, there's obviously other like they they won an SG ball a couple of years ago, and they've kept sort of the spine. But like Aaron Shop, he's already gone and he's been successful elsewhere. Uh, the center for Lebanon was there, Brad Morkos. He's at the Canberra Raiders. Mm. He looks like a really talented young kid as well. There just seems to be so many that get away on the Dragons consistently. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, look. The positive is is they still do have so many good juniors coming through. Mm. It's just about fixing that pathway from. Youth to first grade, it's it's so crucial. I mean, look at again, we look at the Panthers. Like seriously, every player that comes in there is first grade ready. Literally, the first step he puts on that field, he's a first grader. And if that isn't the best testament to a good junior to senior development, I don't know what is. Like, very rarely do clubs get that right where they come on the field and they're immediately a first grader. It usually takes they come on, they play two three games, they get dropped, and, and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, <clears throat> also. Beer shout-outs. We are on premise at Courtyard Bar in City Lane in Townsville. That's right. Courtyard Bar, City Lane in Townsville. We are on premise. Uh, I'm pretty sure that means on tap. So head into Courtyard Bar, City Lane Townsville. We are on tap there. 
trust me, if you thought the beer was good in a can, I'm telling you, try it on tap. It is absolutely beautiful. We're also now being sold in Celebration Superstore Aussie World in Sunshine Coast. So if you're on the sunny coast, uh, head into Aussie World uh, and grab a case of bloke and a beer, bloke and a bar beer. Getting a lot of messages, a lot of more, like uh, a lot of messages saying, Kempi, listen to you. I went out and gave it a try. It's absolutely beautiful. I'm not even telling Paul, he's literally got at least three or four this um, just on Saturday. So uh, make sure if you haven't given a crack, guys, head into your local. We've got a, a store locator on our website. You put in your postcode, boom, shows you the closest locator. On top of that, in New South Wales and ACT, we're in every single Celebrations, Bottolo, IJ Plus Liquor, and Porter's Liquor. So if you've got a Celebrations or a Bottolo near you in New South Wales or ACT, head in, grab a case of bloke. If you enjoy all the content all year and, and you've really you know listened for hours and hours on end, um, support the show. Grab a case of beer and see if you like it. If you like it, keep drinking the beer. That would be awesome. Now, uh, Graham re-signs with the Sharks. To be honest, I'd, I'd like... I expected this. I don't. I don't really think there's much to say. We all know Graham is an absolute, you know, legend uh, in regards to on and off the field. He's achieved so much. He's great for the team. I think it's a smart signing. I think it's also a shrewd signing. It's only a one-year deal in regards to. Yeah, he is getting a little bit older. Quick thoughts on uh, Sharky's Graham resign. Yeah, I love it, mate. Makes complete sense. We're actually having a look at his numbers today. Kempe needs 23 games to make it to the 300 club. So. Fingers crossed he can stay on the field. I could be wrong, but I think the teams get three buys this year. Um, so yes, but there's 27 rounds. So. 27, yeah, okay. So he's going to have to play just about every game. So fingers crossed uh, Wade can get that done because, fuck, does anyone deserve 300 more than Wade? Oh, mate, he absolutely does. Talk about such a – oh, man, he's just such a unique back rower. Like, he's a six, but he's not really a six. You know, and a six doesn't hit as hard as him. He's a mongrel, but he's also, you know, got the champagne footy in him. Um, just quickly, while I've got it on my mind, this chitter chat about a preseason comp. Oh. What? What are we? Do we like? Are we actually going into seeing how destroyed these boys' bodies are by the end of the season? Like, what? What are we talking about here? A preseason comp. These boys. How many injuries have we had in the last couple of years? They should be shortening the season, not adding a preseason comp. Like these boys, they will honestly, if they added a preseason comp, I reckon we would, over the next, if, let's say we just put in a preseason comp for the next 10 to 15 years. I reckon the amount of people that wouldn't play 300 games would drop massively. I think that it's crazy that we're, I mean, I even think the 27 games is outrageous. I really do. Like, I cannot for the life of me understand how anyone that is close to a an NRL club or the playing group and seeing what these guys put their body through think that adding games on this is not soccer where it's not contact it's it's soccer you can have three games a week it's still hard it's fucking really hard and you know you get a lot of the stud marks ankle injuries all that kind of shit but it is nowhere near it's like asking MMA fighters to fight more than like three times a year if you if you're an MMA fighter if you fight three times a year that's like seen as wow, you are an extremely active fighter. Now I understand they get you know it's it's a little bit more uh, brutal, but it's not that much more brutal. It really isn't. I mean, every game, how many how many concussions we see a game now? Four or five. And I mean, concussion stuff is just getting scarier and scarier. It's amazing they want to add more footy. It's <laughs> wild. It's crazy. It's like we see we put it this way. 
if you watch it, I'm not saying that rugby league is tougher than fighting, please. I'm not saying that at all. But you can watch, you can watch an MMA fight or a, a boxing fight and no one gets like knocked out or concussed. Tell me one NRL game where we haven't seen a bloke get knocked out or concussed. And I understand that there is more players on the field, so the likelihood is increased. But I'm just saying, like, that's what we need to really look at and go, like, this is a brutal sport. They already play. Some of them play like – so the players this year, how many games do you reckon they've played? What, 30, like as in the Origin guys, 30 whatever? Well, if 30? you play a full season, you play Origin, and then if you went on this World Cup, you, you could push 35. Like, there'd be Panthers yeah. boys that, that would go close to pushing 35 this year. Insane. Now, look, if the pre like even even if it, the preseason comp is for like reserve graders, they still play a full season in Q Cup. It doesn't. It's not like, and it's also the training. Like, oh, I just it doesn't. It just doesn't make any sense. I, what do you think, Timmy? We what what's going on here? Yeah, mate. I'm a bit of a controversial opinion here, but I actually uh, I'm not too far against the idea of a preseason comp. I, I'd nearly given up on my dream of playing in the NRL. Um, and I think if the preseason comp goes ahead, there'll be that many injuries by round one of the the next season that I'll be a chance to start and fullback for the Raiders. So all of a sudden, this new RLPA deal, uh, I could be a part of that. So I'm I'm with the RLPA. I just get as much fun as you can, boys, because by March next year or the following season, I could be in on that. Imagine Ricky Stewart and Madge McGuire when you walk into the change room. <laughs> Fuck, oh, mate. It's just it just honestly it doesn't make. Any sense? It, it really just doesn't make any. I Sam's don't understand. Little brothers here for be... work experience. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he do work experience here ten years ago? And we told him to piss off. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't understand it. I, I just, I don't understand. On on one hand, we've been like so strong on this head high, and you know, I believe too strong. But then all of a sudden, we're also like, let's add more. Let's add more footy. Let's let's increase the ch- likelihood of contact. Let's increase the training amount. Um, you know, I would go as far to say as, and, and I've been a proponent of like, you know, players understand that when they play rugby league, they're going to get head height. It's it's a part of the gig. Now, I like the measures that we're trying to put in place. Are they too vigilant? For sure. Like some sometimes I think it's a bit too much, but I'm willing I'm willing to go, you know what? I understand the, the positive nature of, of what we're trying to do here. I would even go as far to say as like, it's actually not the games where you get the most head knocks and contact. It's in training. And I think the NRL should, if, if the NRL, instead of adding more games, they should actually be going to clubs and saying, you're only allowed to have, like the NFL does, you're only allowed to have X amount of contact sessions in a week. Now, yes, I understand that some clubs are going to try and, you know, bend the rules or whatever, but at least it's a step in the right direction. This is a step in the opposite direction. This is, I mean, how many times over the last couple of years, like two years, have we heard coaches come out and say, I literally don't have a squad? Mm-hmm. Now, maybe it's just recency bias. I don't recall, you know, yesteryear very often hearing a coach going, I, I don't have anyone to play. Like I've got to call, you know, we, we, we have our coaches doing opposed sessions. Maybe that's, again, maybe it's recency bias, but I just feel like it's increased quite a bit. Tell you what else is going to be interesting. Obviously, as we said, the teams get three buys this year. I cannot wait to see what happens when the NRL brings out their draw. How filthy are you going to be if you get your bye week one? Compared oh, to all these other right. teams that get to use it smack in the middle of the season, it's. I mean, how, how on earth are they going to make that decision? It'll be the it'll be the Raiders, mate. You wait. We'll, we'll get shunned by the <laughs> we'll get shunned by the big cheeses up north in Sydney again. You wait. You wait. Apparently that's coming. <laughs> apparently that's coming this week. The draw. Ooh. It's going to be carnage. Yeah, because yeah, like knights, right, knights have been rumored to miss 
mm. Magic Round because they allegedly have the lowest. Uh, this is all reportedly, but statistically, since 2018, the Bulldogs have had the lowest, um, I guess, uh, a turnout for in at, at Suncorp Stadium, with the Knights being second. Um, so maybe the NRL have done you know quite a bit of research and I guess seeing that the Knights are the least engaged in Brisbane. I'm not sure, but look, I, I, if I was a Knights fan, I it, let's say it is going to go ahead like that. If I'm a Knights fan, absolutely, I'd be pissed. There's no denying that. From a outside looking in, it's like it's probably the only way you can really look at it, isn't it? The least engagement for the first year, and then you just then you just begin to rotate. Oh, mate, the, the way that I – and I, I don't know if they would have liked it or not, but I, I thought it might would have maybe made sense to give the bye to the Warriors. At least it's one less game they have to travel over here for. That was my only line big, of thinking. But they have a big fan base in Brisbane, though. That's the only problem. Do they? Okay. And they are, yeah, locked, they are yeah. locked in for Magic Round. They are? That's, okay. Yeah, that's official. Yeah. Oh, it's a tough one. Like, <laughs> there's no right answer. If I'm a Newcastle fan, I'd be filthy. But mm. whichever way you go, you, you, you're going to upset someone realistically. Yeah, I agree. As I said, like, if there is a way to do it, maybe it is the lowest attendance. Like, it still seems a bit unfair. What do you reckon, Timmy? Yeah, as you said, boys, it's got to be someone. Um, they've got to do basically come up with it the most objective way that they can. Um, if that's attendance-based, then so be it. But I, I haven't thought about it enough to think of the best way to go about it. But as you said, put it this way. If it's Newcastle this year, then they shouldn't miss out on it for the next 10 years. So um, everyone should get their turn in the next, you know, five to 10 years. And obviously the Queensland clubs will all play it and whatnot. But um, you'll have your turn and you'll be right for a while after that. Yeah, I think your Broncos will be safe for another, what is it, 17 years? <laughs> yeah, mate. Yeah, should be safe. Mate, we're just, hey, mate, we're battlers. We get the short end of the stick all the time. Grizzly Broncos, poor calls, bloody bullshit, mate. And then, like... We were chugging along and they added two teams to our state. What a load of shit. <laughs> you know, we, we are Queensland. This is nonsense. Um, yeah. I, again, I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know. Look, as I said, you have to use some kind of fairish judgment and I guess least engagement is. I, I don't know. I don't know. I feel sorry for Knights fans if it goes through. Anyway, now yeah, let's get to Rugby League World Cup, boys. Australia versus, New Ze- uh, Australia versus New Zealand this week. Wow. England versus Samoa. Wow. Um, so let's get to the first game. Australia versus Lebanon. Um, I'm a bit worried. I'm a bit worried. I uh, I know we won 48 to 4, but the first 14 points was pure individual brilliance mm. that we scored. It was not good. It was not good ball playing. It was not setting decisions on field and spreading them in numbers. It was literally just pure individual brilliance that you can't get away with against the top tier sides. Then there was a period where we started to get into gear and we, you know, put it together. But oh, this is now, I'm very aware there's a possibility they come out this week and they look fucking smick as anything. I'm very aware of that. You know, Mal would know more than me. But this is my concern with the chopping and changing of the halves each each game. Now, I think it was good to give the Panthers boys a rest game one. But I, I just wonder, and this is hindsight speaking, but I just wonder, would it have been as clunky if Cleary Munster was the halves as quickly as possible? I'm not sure what the answer is to that, but it's absolutely got to be a question, guys, after watching that game. What, what do you think? Yeah, I agree, mate. I, I think clunky is the right way to put it. Um, you know, 
48 to 4 is a good scoreline, but uh, like, and I, I know they haven't played a heap of footy together, but Cleary and Munster to me, they like they. It's evident that they haven't played a heap of footy together. I think it's really obvious, and I'm the same as you, mate. I was really nervous at the end of that game, but then, and we'll talk about them soon. Watching New Zealand play, they didn't look fantastic either, to be honest with you. And both teams, as you said, can run out on Saturday morning, whenever it is, and look fantastic. We all know what they're capable of, uh, but at the moment, I'm really not sure how this game is going to go. The, you know, when I have a look at the the Kiwi side and the Kangaroos team, I think they're very close, and I think it sort of comes down to individuals uh, for me. You know, your Latrell Mitchells, your, your Josh Addo cars. Uh, but, yeah, mate, I'm a little bit concerned as well. I, I thought we'd be we'd be looking better than this at this point at the start of the World Cup. It's, again, it's, I, like, it's not about the score. It's the way we got it. If we got forty-eight to four with a fucking clinical, just just precise domination, then I would be like, because there was a period there where Lebanon, and it was in the second half, Lebanon had more play the balls in our twenty. That's outrageous. That's outrageous. That should not be happening. We should be. They should not. They should be barely getting a play the ball in it. Now, this is not to disrespect Lebanon. I thought they were amazing. Um, what do you got there, Guru? I'm oh, just going to say, like, it's the second week in a row we've made more mistakes in the opposition. Um, we made more mistakes in Italy last week. We made 14 errors in this game, and Lebanon only made 11. And and I know people will be thinking, oh yeah, but Australia had more ball. They had 52 percent possession. You shouldn't be making mm-hmm. 14 errors at the end of the day, <clears throat> oh, mate. Like, what are we talking about here? We're Australia. We yeah. are. We are supposed to be absolutely blasting teams off the park. Timmy, what do you think? Are we, we alarm bells too much or what? Yeah, uh, look, I'm not overly concerned. Um, I do think, and the more I talk about this, I feel like I've just been blasting poor old Mao this entire tournament for selections and a few things he's done for a bloke who hasn't looked like losing a game and could potentially cruise to a World Cup title. So I'll give him that. But your boys are on the money with with the chopping and changing of halves when Cleary and Munster, who'd never played together, clearly needed time to, to form a partnership and we've been copying a, being the subject of a few jokes with the amount of times we've dropped the word cohesion in this uh, across the World Cup but that is what it is it's about building cohesion particularly amongst key combinations and then uh, I think he played DCE and Cleary the match prior in the final group stage game in this game he takes Teddy off at half time brings DCE back on and goes Munster to fullback it's like Surely, if anything, you just get them 80 minutes together in the quarterfinal. Yes, look, we were going on to win that game. We weren't going to lose it, but we needed time to put these guys together. Uh, and, and I just don't understand why he's gone about it in the manner that he has. Um, so I think if we are clunky for you know what's the do or die against the Kiwis, to a degree, I think Mao's got himself to blame because he hasn't given these combinations a chance to flourish. Yeah, and, and when you look at the score in the second half, it was like 12-4 or something. Like, yep. second half of rugby league, Australia beat Lebanon 12-4. That is crazy. And I know a lot of people could say, like, oh, you're being alarmist and come on, boys. Like, you know, they'll click into gear. I, I, I Honestly, I, I think they will click into gear. But you cannot tell me that that performance didn't raise a lot of concerning questions in regards to cohesiveness and yes it's a joke and yeah but put it this way look at that england side look at that england side that is a side that seems very cohesive seems like they play very simple footy but they get to points on the field they pull teams apart now are they as individually brilliant as australia i don't think so matter of fact i i think there's quite a substantial gap between the individual brilliance of the australian side and the england side 
But are they playing more as a team, the most as a team of any team in the comp right now? Absolutely. I'd say absolutely. And the concern is, is that if, let's say we some we we fortunately beat the, the Kiwis, who we know, the thing with the Kiwis, we know they can just turn up out of nowhere and do something special. We know that. So we can't take this for granted of like, oh yeah, they played really poorly against Fiji. We're going to be sweet. If anything, it might've been worse for us because now they're going to be angry. Um, and so... Then you go, okay, let's say we, some, we, we do get past the Kiwis. Do we have enough individual brilliance to be better than the cohesiveness of the England side is, is the concern. Now, I still think Australia favourites. Maybe that's bias in me being an Aussie. Um, and, but I just, it, it just surprises me that you get through a half of footy. It, yes, you're up by 30 points or whatever. And then you put Munster to fullback. Like, what's the point of that? Like, Munster's – how does that help Munster? How does that help Cleary? All it does, like it helps DCE get some more game time. I don't see how it helps the squad, in my opinion. Um, and look, I, I know we're probably going to be proven wrong this week and they're going to come out and absolutely fucking kill it. But right now, with the information we have, it, I personally think it was a bit of a concerning game for me. I just, like, yeah. Like even, for example, like I thought Cleary actually played pretty well, but like his kicking was off and it has been off. And I'm like, is that... I don't, is he feeling a bit like the pressure of, is this my jersey? Is it not my jersey? Is this my team? Is it not my team? And I, you know, or maybe it's just he's over there. But like, I'm watching him kick goals. I'm like, is he, is there, is that a different ball over there? Is that like not pumped up or something? Because it, it's like, like Nathan Cleary is the, one of the best kickers of the comp. Mate, he's hardly um, making the distance on a lot of them. It's, it's very strange yeah. to watch him kick at the moment. Like you, you're watching, it's you're bizarre. like, it's accurate, but that's not going to make it. And it quite often doesn't yeah. at the moment. Like not making, you know how easy it is for a kicker to make the distance? And we're talking about literally one of the best kickers we've seen since Cooper Cronk, arguably better. Like it's just, it's, it's bizarre. I don't, I don't, and it, like, you know, maybe it is purely a Nathan Cleary thing, but I just, I just feel like from the get go, in my opinion, it should have been like, Cleary, mate, this is your team. You're the back to back seven. You're the next fucking goat, essentially. Um, this is your team take it and run. And what's interesting is that Cooper Cronk actually, you know, said similar sentiments of, oh, was it Cooper or Mickey Innes? Anyways, one of them said like, you can't really give Cleary the side. Don't have him, you know, oh, am I seven? Am I not seven? What do you got there, Guru? Oh, I was just going to say like, like, I don't understand, as you said, Kempi, why they moved Munster to fullback. I mean, you've got Val Holmes, you've got Latrell, you've got two guys that can play fullback. I just, I, I can't fathom a reason why you wouldn't just give Munster and Cleary more time together. I just I, I don't understand what we gained in any way, shape, or form out of moving Munster to fullback against Lebanon when we were home. Mm. Yeah, it's it's just bizarre, and like it's it's almost as if uh, this this push of oh you you still I'm still not sure who the seven is. I'm still not sure. You know what I mean? Like so like that, that seems like the only purpose of putting DC on the field. Like as you just rightly said. Valentine Holmes can go back to fullback if Teddy needs to come off. Yeah. We've got Tuolangi, we've got Campbell Graham, we've got Latrell Mitchell, we've got Jackie Whiten. We fucking million centers and outside backs that could get a, a run. I, I posted something about it the other day, and Latrell commented saying, We've been running with our best 17 on the training paddock for a few weeks, which I'm sure they have, but I'm sorry, it doesn't look like it. It is really it doesn't. Alan, is it Alan Iverson? Uh, is, is Alan Iverson? We're we talking about practice. We're talking about practice. <laughs> it's practice, man. Every like, come on, man. Like, 
hey, Charlie Mid, love Charlie Mid, love him. And it, obviously, as the, all those players, like they're going to be confident in their ability. And even Teddy came out and said, we yep. still believe whether. But <laughs> the amount of preseasons I've done where I literally thought I was Darren Lockyer and then I came out and got absolutely fucking towed up <laughs> in the first few games, like it, games are what matter. Games are what matter. Um, uh, yeah, uh, mate, I, I think we're all in the same boat in regards to that. Look, it sounds too negative because there are some are a lot of positives. There are a lot of positives. I want to get I when Mal didn't run Cam Murray out on the edge, I was oh. like, oh my god, are you f- serious? But when he brought him on in the middle, I was like, actually, I actually don't mind that. I actually don't mind that because of the speed of the play of the ball. And so I got to give Mal some credit there. I don't know if you guys agree. You may disagree. Um, the, the problem is, is I want Cam Murray on the field for fucking 80 minutes. But anyway, um, another positive, Isaiah Yo is absolutely incredible. Like I know I know, Josh Adekar by default gets the, the man of the match because of the five tries. Uh, but Isaiah Yo, in my opinion, was man of the match. He, When the going was tough, he was the one that was really breaking things apart. He was absolutely incredible. Um, Latrell Mitchell uh, had some big, big moments. Cam Munster had some big moments. <laughs> Uh, Tedesco, oh man, he's just a step above, isn't he? Honestly, like he just, he's so good. He's so good. It's a joke. Um, so there was some, there were some really good signs there. Like, as I said, like Nathan Cleary kicking wasn't great at times, but he still had some really delicate touches, some really delicate touches. So there were, there were definitely some positives there, especially for like a 20 to 30 minute period. I thought that they really began to glue things together. That's why the change up for me is like, What? It just got. It just started getting going. Um, it, what about you? Who was a standout for you guys? Yeah, mate. I, I think you covered the vast majority of them. As you said, Cam Murray when he came on, he, he was really good. Um, I, I know he didn't play in this one, but fuck, you can see a difference when Ben Hunt's not in the team, can't you? Are we like? Is he definitely injured? Or yeah, he like, was rested for that game because he played the three he had previous. Or something. Yeah, like, well, he played the, the three previous games. That's what Mal said. So he'll be coming back into the team this week. Yeah. Would you not rest in the <laughs> last game of the group stage and then exactly play right. for the knockout game? Yep. And then, yeah. I, like, what? I don't know. I don't get it. I'm sorry, is, nah. is Ben Hunt playing an extra 25 minutes against Lebanon? Is it going to be catastrophic? Like, oh, I personally would – I understand he's played the three mm. games. Unless there is a niggle there, which we don't know about – but if not, I would have picked our best 17 and I would have run out with our best 17 and played to our best 17 game plan. Honestly, and this, you know, and maybe they were injured or whatever, by game two, I'm picking my 17 and I'm sticking with them. Like by game two of the, 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 the World Cup. Game one, I'm giving people opportunities. Game two, I'm picking my best 17 and I'm sticking with it unless there's injuries or niggle injury injuries or whatever. Um but but like I do have this like quite strong feeling that we're all going to be proven wrong this week, you know. Like I got this strong feeling that they're going to come out play incredibly, and we're going to be like, oh, you know what? Are we questioning a bloke that won eight Origin in a row? Yeah, we were. Uh, <laughs> but it, again, I I would be lying if I didn't say that these questions are there for me. I, I, I would be I'm, lying if yeah. I. Didn't. I'm still backing us, Kempi, in a tight game, and I think we'll be fine. I just don't think we've done ourselves any favours with a lot of decisions that have been made. Like, with the Australian Rugby League team, there's so much superstar talent in there. I, I honestly think we'll be fine, but we could have given ourselves an easier path to a knockout semi-final with the Kiwis. And I personally think we've had arguably, potentially, better Kangaroos teams versus worse Kiwi sides, and we've lost mm. in games like yeah. this. Mm. 
And if we do, and yeah. you know, I, I, like I, I'm expecting the Kangaroos to win, but in my opinion, the Kiwis have a better pack. They've got the halves that if anyone's going to get over the top of Cleary and Brown, uh, Cleary and Munster, it's going to be Brown and Hughes. They've got a superstar at fullback. There's like this is a, as much as they haven't played very well, as you said before, Kempi. We know that New Zealand they can they can switch it on at any given moment, and and they're going to be up for this game. And the thing, other thing that scares me in that is the Kiwis, albeit by probably uh, underperforming by their standards, have had games that we saw on the weekend with Fiji that they've had to overcome some animosity and dig in and just really grind out wins. The Aussies are maybe a detriment to how good they are. They haven't like they haven't had a tough game yet. Let's be fair; they haven't looked like losing a game, yep. uh, and that's not going to help. And for all we know, New Zealand might not be the team we've got to worry about. It could be England at home in a grand England. final if they yeah. win. Yeah, and I think that home factor, we'll get to it, but I think that home factor is becoming resoundingly more strong where you're going, these boys look comfortable. Like yeah. They look like they're just playing footy the way they've been playing it all year. Um, yeah, so so to be clear, guys, like we still think Australia are, you know, I, I back them in to win the World Cup. <laughs> but at, you, you summed it up perfectly to me. I, I don't think... In my opinion, we've given ourselves the best run into this game against the Kiwis possible, um, because like even little things, like even the question of is Ben Hunt going to be on the as the fourteen, like would you put would you put your house on it? Like I wouldn't. <laughs> like if I had one, if I had a house that I owned, I would do it. <laughs> are, are we expecting? So if if Hunt's on the bench, are we expecting the rest of the bench to stay as it was? So Pat Carrigan. And Lindsay Collins, is that what we're anticipating they'll run with, with Jake Trevojevic starting? Surely. Surely. Yeah. I mean... Once again, wouldn't put my house on it that I don't have. Yeah. But that's the thing. That's, that's what I'm talking about yeah. in regards to, you know, like, this is how... I just... Anyway. Um, I, I thought Harry Grant was really good too. Far out, he's special. He's so fucking... Like, I just... When he's electric out of dummy half, it just is a sight to behold. You, there really is – there's really not many players that I can recall that play like him. I, I just can't – in my time anyway, I'm sure there might be some before my time, but I'm trying to think of a nine that was similar to Harry. It's just – he's just got his own way of doing things. It's fucking so good. He's so exciting to watch. He's almost like a like a seven out of hooker sometimes, the way he just takes control of the where they're getting to on the field or – having a run like or taking a few extra steps but the, the crazy thing is is that sevens and sixes can still work with him whereas we've seen other nines in the past where like they're too dominant and they take the ball when they shouldn't be taking the ball and and you've got the seven putting his hands up going fuck me harry grant seems to select the perfect time every time to take control of the game and, and run the ball or pass it to who he wants to um yeah outside of that liam martin was really good Angus Crichton has been good. Um, Stoke for Jake Trevojevic. Uh, the thing is, is when you look at this team and each person, individually, they all played pretty well. Like individually, they all like, okay, yeah, there was a couple errors here or there. But individually, they were all pretty good. Um, it's just a bit, that doesn't seem to be clicking as much. Josh Adokar, I mean, is he is he a lock-in for Origin next year no matter what? Or what are we talking about here, boys? I'm not sure if he is, to be honest with you. I I'm, I want to say yes, mate, but I don't pick the fucking team. We know who picks the team, and I can't say anyone's a lock that's not named James Tedesco, I don't think. Yeah, who who absolutely knows with it. And apologies for sounding like a broken record on this one and my, my roaming outside backs rant that's 
it's at least once a week on average, sometimes <laughs> twice. But when Addo Carr supported for that try through the middle, I'm just sitting there going, oh, my God. Imagine him coming out of his own half just supporting in around the rack. He, like, we know the Fox. He's so quick. He gets an inch of space. He scores, like, every time because no one can get near him one-on-one. I'd, the doggies should be taking note and going – when possible, I know Kemp, it's important, you've spoken in the past about holding your width and all that, but when possible, like the Aussies did, you've got to get him roaming in around that rock. And shout out to Josh Adokar, that try that he scored through the middle, he played the ball. It's not oh, very often you see the guy that plays the yeah. ball gets back up. You can talk more about it, Kemi, but I imagine most wingers, if you get to play the ball on third tackle in the middle, you're sprinting straight out to your wing to get back out there. Fox just is still just alert of what's happening and put himself in that spot. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's a good example of, you know, not always good to have a 100-kilo winger that can bash the fuck out of every every run he has. He makes 20 metres because of a post-contact. Sometimes those small wingers that are super fit, they can do things like that. They can do things like that. Now, boys, maybe I'm getting hyperbolic here, but I, I this has been like something that I've been thinking about this for a couple of years now where I'm uh, like I lean into it and I go, oh, no, 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 I better not, I better not. But is it time we start considering Josh Adokar one of the greatest wingers of all time? I don't think it's unfair, mate. Uh, he's obviously, you know, achieved so much at, at Melbourne. It, it, what, what, what's his try scoring record, Matty? Mm. What are we? What yep. sort of ballpark are we in now? Um, I personally think he's up there. I don't know if I want to put him in with like Wendell and Lottie and these sort of guys, ET and those sort of fellas. But well, I ask you this: I ask you this: What has Wendell done in rugby league that? Adokar hasn't done. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think it's – and the point you made before, Wendell was the 100-kilo monster who could beat the living shit out of you and he could also run as fast as the wind, so it probably makes him a little bit more, more intimidating. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Fox, what he's he's dominated Origin. He's dominated – now he's dominating Kangaroos. So he's got 118 tries in 150 NRL games. Oh. And then Origin's similar, oh. 12 games, 10 tries. And well, how, how many um, premierships has he got? What are we talking? Three. So he won two. two, two, seventeen and twenty. Yeah, two. Yeah, wow. I don't think it's well, unfair, I, Kempi. How old is I, he? I know. Twenty-seven. I think. Twenty-seven. Wow. <clears throat> so again, I understand that like people they don't really want to go there yet, I, and I get it. I'm not saying he's the greatest, but I think there's there's a there's an argument to begin to be made that he deserves to be in that conversation of one at least, like. In the conversation. Timmy, am I getting crazy here or what? Uh, not getting uh, crazy, no, mate. Well, like, his record speaks for itself. You boys just rattled off. A shit ton of tries. A couple of premierships. What's he had? 12 games for the Blues. Uh, in two weeks' time, he may be a World Cup winner and he could be finishing the tournament pretty likely as the top try scorer. Dom Young is not too far off him, but looking that way. So his credentials speak for themselves. Um, as you said, probably... He, He'll be in the conversation 100% by the end of his career. Uh, he could be one of the greats by the end of his career. Uh, I, I hate recency bias. And I hate getting too caught up in things off the back of five tries for your country. But you're not being crazy by it, by talking about it, Kempi. And, I mean, he might get top yeah. try scorer. Mate, for me, he's my favourite for player of the well, tourney at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just think that one thing we're forgetting, boys, is he's most likely going to break the most tries ever in a World Cup for an Australian winger, Australian player. He's a try off it. I'm pretty sure he's a try off it. He's also, so like, yeah, he's also 27 with 100, what'd you say, 51 career tries. Mm. Like six, another six or so good years in him. Oof. 
I, I think that if he can have real success at Canterbury, that really changes the conversation. Like, if, if, if he can win a comp at Canterbury and, and be as important to that team as he is right now, like, we're talking about him as a potential captain next year. Not many That's wingers at 27. Say, yeah, mm. yeah. I was about to say, we are talking about Addo Carr as the captain of a club. Tell me another winger that you would send to another club and you would consider – we would be going, yeah, the winger should be captain. Mm. I just think he is – he is the perfect modern-day superstar. Hasn't really done anything that bad off the field. He's super charismatic. He's super explosive on the field. He's a highlight machine. Like, what else could you want out of a winger? Honestly, what else could you want out of a winger? Like all think good superstars, just... he started at the Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had to do that, Guru. Sorry, Tigers fans. We should have... Trigger warning. Trigger warning. <laughs> oh, um like I just again, I just think that I just want to give him his flowers while he's while it's at the moment because I, I I don't think I know everyone like he's kind of like this in his own lane of superstar, but I just don't know if anyone sits back and goes, hang on a sec, this bloke might be one of the greatest wingers we've ever seen. Like when you look at what he's achieved, at least in the modern era of rugby league, I know you can talk about ones in the past, or whatever modern era of rugby league. I'd have to say like. He does all the tough stuff. He's one of the best finishers we've ever seen. He's he's basically like Steve Renoff in the open field. That's how beautiful it looks when he just gets to glide. And he's done everything. He's done I, everything. I was just about to say to you, mate, for me, like the best winger of the last probably 15 years is Brett Morris, just because he was so yeah. consistent. But then I sat there and went, how many bad games do you see Fox play realistically? Exactly. Mm. Exactly. It's just it, – oh, and, and also like – Everything he brings off the field as well. Like I, I just think he should be in the combo at the very least. Um, I, I'm just such a fan of the Fox. Like I'm such a fan. He's just so good for the game. You know, he, he didn't have the easiest upbringing either. And what he's managed to achieve as a person, and like, is pretty incredible. Um, anyway, I think that. Oh, shout out to Paddy Garrigan. Came on 31 minutes, 123 meters. Fuck, he's a he's a dog. He's a dog. <laughs> Thank God he's a Bronco. Um, <laughs> Now, Lebanon. I mean, there's, I, I, we don't really, have, don't really have that much time. Sorry, guys, but I just want to give them a massive, massive wrap. What an incredible series! And think about the confidence, and also think about a lot of young Lebanese boys and girls that watched this tournament and said, "Oh, I want to try rugby league." We have a massively growing uh, Lebanese population in, uh, especially Sydney, but in Australia, I kid, like Lebanon. Incredible. What an incredible series. And Chica, what a great coach. Because, like, if there's one thing that the best thing they did, and, and Mitchell Moses and Adam Dwahi, I think you say it now, um, they weren't out coached by anyone. They weren't out coached by anyone, that's for sure. They Their systems were good. They were getting to the right place on the field. They won the battle of field position against Australia. Think about that. They won the battle of field position against Australia. The difference is we got Val Holmes running for bloody 260 metres or 50 metres or whatever. Fuck, he was good. Fuck, he was good. We got <laughs> Latrell Mitchell who was just – you know what I mean? That's that's That was the difference. They won all these things that coaches coach and that players lead. So, massive congratulations, Lebanon. Just, just shout out to Lebanon. Obviously, they took on the Kiwis uh, after, 50, after 50 minutes. It was 18 to 12. And what, what was the second half against the Kangaroos? 18 to 6. Jesus. Like, to, to think they're even in the conversation of staying 1 to 12 on both the Kangaroos and the Kiwis in a three-week span, unbelievable. Michael Checker yeah. takes Lebanon to a quarterfinal in a World Cup and rattled some big teams. 
plays a quarterfinal against Australia, and then what, two days later, goes and coaches the Argentinian National Rugby Union team to a win over England. That is mind-blowing to me. Like, mm. I, I, I knew that he was the Argentinian coach, but I assume that when he was looking after Lebanon that he'd given up that role or whatever, and then someone said, yeah, in two nights' time, he's coaching him against England. I was like, holy shit, that is impressive. Yeah, and like... It's not against some tiny team either. We're talking about England, and they're considered one of the, if like what, top three teams in the world. And he went there with Argentina and beat them. Like, it's just incredible. I mean, I know, I know it's a small sample size, but and I know he'd be getting paid way more to be an international coach. But I tell you what, if a club needed a coach, I'd be at least at least interviewing to see how much he knew about rugby league. Because he seems to be a very good man manager. Matter of fact, Mitchell Moses came out and said he it's the most he's ever been out. Like he's never had a coach get him up for the game the way Chica, Chica did. I get stressed out if I'm tossing up between a bloke mid or a bleed, bloke full strength. <laughs> he's got two national teams to worry about. Oh, Crazy. no, thank you. So massive congratulations to the uh, the Lebanon side. It's just incredible. So good, so good for the game. Now, on to the next game. England versus PNG. I was watching this game in the first half. Guru, Timmy, i got to admit, I wasn't wearing any boots, but I was shaking in them. <laughs> they started fast, didn't they? Holy shit, that first half was red hot. And it wasn't just like lucky stuff or like really poor play. Like, don't get me wrong, PNG did play poorly. But some of their tries was just high-quality footy, stripping them of numbers, very simple, very simple game plan. It's so, it's just like they don't even dig into the line that much. They basically rely on, we're going to get you on one-on-one situations and we're going to beat you in that one-on-one situation. If we don't beat you, we're going to get an offload. So that could be a double-edged sword. You could uh, you can make the argument, well, once they get a, against the top-tier teams, then th- that one-on-one tackle, the contact is going to be much better. The wrestle is going to be better. They're not going to have the same knock-on effect. But they've already played Samoa. And proven that they can get the job done against them. I'm not saying that they'll win this next one, but I mean they're going. I'd say they're going in as heavy favourites for sure. Um, England were, especially the first half. Second half a bit disappointing, but first half, I'm impressed, man. I'm impressed, and I, I Georgie Williams far out, impressive. Thirty-eight nil after twenty-five minutes, it was. They just blew. I felt sorry for PNG. Mm. Fuck, I reckon they've been tough this entire World Cup. They're just not a team that 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 deserve that to be blown off the park like that that early. And, mate, uh, as, as I said before, like, I think we're talking about the Aussies and the Kiwis. <laughs> I hate it, but I'm getting more and more worried that this is the team to fucking watch out for. Mate, I'm with you. As I said, don't even own a pair of boots shaking in them. Timmy, you own boots? Uh, I do own boots. A bit of dust on them, mate. But, yeah, they, they're just clinical at the moment, aren't they? Everything they we said after that first game against Samoa that their game plan's very simple. They... Um, they're not overly expansive in the way they play their footy, although it probably looks expansive at times because of the amount of times they're getting through the line and they just have numbers coming from everywhere and they're throwing balls out the woo-ha because they've gone through the line. But like they did that against PNG on the weekend in quite heavy rain at times. Like It was very wet out there and they were still just making things look incredible. Uh, again, to that back to that word cohesion, so cohesive. Everyone is just on the same page, playing the exact same brand of football, um, yeah, very worried, mate. Mate, Tom Burgess in the first 20 oh. was like a, a man playing against kids. 
And we're talking we're not talking about any team. We're talking about PNG who are known for their ruthless aggressive defense. Like if there's one thing they might lack it maybe, you know, on the edges of reeds sometimes or but PNG are known. Like the amount of players that played in the Australian A side that would go over to PNG and go, I've walked off the field the source I've ever been. For Tom Burgess to do that to that side, like absolutely incredible. Um, Johnny Bateman was amazing. Uh, it's just like, again, the second half, a bit clunky, but I, th- I, th- I thought the coach kind of summed it up quite well. At the end of the game, he said, I'm not going to let the second half get too, uh, get too involved in the second half because if you had told me this morning that we would have beaten PNG 46 to six, I would have said, I'll take that any day of the week. And I think that's a, probably a pretty good attitude to have because you don't want to get too negative now. It's too late in the game to be getting the boys down and fucking telling them up in fitness or whatever. You need them right and super high like they were in that first half. What about Tommy Mackinson? Five, uh, he ended up scoring five tries and he nearly broke the record for amount of points scored by a... Um, so he broke the record for amount of tries scored. He nearly broke the record for the amount of um, points scored. Um, mate, this England side... Look, maybe the World Cup side on paper last one was better. But I don't know, man. Far out. It's it's as an Aussie, it's concerning. It's concerning. You mentioned um, the winger. His first try. What about the touch from Sam Tompkins to get that oh, kick through? Oh. He he was running to the left. He put it on his right foot, and he didn't. He just put it straight through the line. It, it was a perfect kick. You can't it you can't defend. It that almost guy. wasn't through the line. It was in between the yeah, line. It he was played so through weird. the line. It was per- like it couldn't get yeah. better than that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, everything is working for these guys. Like, Wellsby, I love his energy. He's super aggressive. Um, I think Elliot Whitehead has just been really good for him. Like, just a stalwart of the game. Johnny Bateman has been outstanding. Victor Radley, like we said at the start of the game, uh, start of this, the whole series of, like, and it was no disrespect to the Super League side, but we were just like, Radley's going to take them to another level. And has he not taken them to another level? Like, he is just that extra bit of touch, that class in the middle. Kind of like Isaiah Yo is to Australia, really. Like, he really is delivering that kind of punch that Isaiah Yo is. Now, I think Isaiah Yo played better on the weekend. But over the whole tournament, I think Victor Radley's really brought what Isaiah Yo has brought to um, Australia. Look, it's it's exciting for England. It really is exciting time. If they don't, if they don't win this World Cup, the spring board they'll get into the next one will be absolutely incredible. It's not even that old of a side, really. Well, yeah, and that's the other thing. There are so many young guys in this team. Like you, how much we're talking about um, Victor Radley. He's going to be at his peak at the next World Cup. So they're, they're building something pretty special. I thought I just thought too, mate, shout out to Callum Watkins. I think he's played really well throughout this World Cup. He came out and played for the Titans a couple of years ago and just looked so far out of his depth when he was here. And it, it, was, it was a bit disappointing. But seeing how he's bounced back and how well he's playing in this World Cup, I've been really impressed with him. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I think... Um you know, I think England really, they're really looking good. Yes, second half wasn't great, but they can't do any more than what they have done this World Cup. You know, if they go out and get beaten by Samoa, it'll almost be the World Cup that got away from them. Like, because if they're not in the final, that, that's a disappointing tournament, in my opinion. And yet, if you had said that to me at the start of the comp, I would have said, nah, not really. Like, I maybe semis probably. Now, after watching them play, if they don't make the grand final of the World Cup, that's a that's shocking. Like it's it's because of how well they've played. Um, now, your quick thoughts on uh, PNG boys? 
Uh, yeah, as we as I said before, a tough day for them. They came up against a very good English side. I I probably more so look at the rest of their World Cup. Uh, I, I thought that game against Tonga they played a couple of weeks ago. I thought they were very unlucky not to win that one. I thought they, they were the better team, to be perfectly honest with you, against Tonga a few weeks ago. So a really good World Cup. Once again, the halves, Lockie Lamb, um, the 5'8". Can someone give him a contract? <laughs> How is he not worth a throw at the stump somewhere as a 14 or just to have in your team? I, I can't believe he doesn't get a shot anywhere. Surely he will be after this World Cup. You'd have to think so, but right. I mean, he, he killed so, it in the mid-season game, and then he just fell under the radar again. No one spoke about him again. I'd, I'd love to see him get a gig somewhere. Labor. Yeah, I agree. Just, just an opportunity to, to show what he can do under a system, and maybe he's already had that, but he just seems to have matured massively. I agree with you, Guru. Like, extremely disappointing last game. No denying that. Extremely disappointing, but. I would try to focus more on the, the rest of the tournament where I thought they were really good. Um, I thought they were quite unlucky against P, uh, Tonga. Do, do I – I kind of feel like that may have had a bit of a knock-on effect. Yeah. I feel like, you know, and I know people don't like when we get into this, but like let's say they did get that win. I don't feel like they would have petered out the way they petered out this this tournament. I, I watched the game against England. I'm like, this, this looks like a tired team that just doesn't seem to have the energy to go with – a, com- a team like England who are just riding so frigging high at the moment. Um, and that's where I really thought the difference was. It was it was a team that was down on energy, down on confidence. Like, I, it sounds weird because they went on to win their other games, but they just didn't have that same energy that they usually have in games. Um, so very disappointing last game, but not, not, you know, shocking or anything like that. Decent World Cup. Yeah, I think as well you got to remember, like, it's so important for these nations. If they've got a star player, they can just throw the ball to and anything can happen. So important. And Xavier Coates, they didn't have him for the entire thing. Mm. Like, he's just another guy that, you know, if there's nothing on, you can just kick it to him and you're probably going to get something out of it. So he was a mm. huge loss as well. Yeah, yeah. Anything on PNG, Timmy? I think just touching on it again, that just the investment in the lower tier nations and uh, we saw, how long ago was it now, that the PNG Hunters came into the Queensland Cup and years. yeah, four or five years, maybe a couple more, and then we've seen we're reaping the rewards right now. They've just made a quarterfinal and played a superb World Cup, one of the shining lights of it. And uh, with the progression that they're showing, there's no reason why in four years' time they can't be you know really competing for a semi-final spot and potentially more. And I mean, you look at you know Fiji's bid for a New South Wales Cup spot that's been going for a few years. I don't know where that's at at the moment. Obviously, hasn't quite eventuated yet. But uh, the more we can get the, these lower tier nations playing regular big footy and giving uh, some of the locals opportunities at the highest level. So good for our international game. Yeah, agreed. And also some of the stars that were born, like IPAP, mm. like they'll, I'm telling you, there'll be quite a few NRL clubs inquiring as to, hey, is there an NRL club clause in your contract with the, uh, is it the Lee Panthers? Is Leopards, it, it the Lee? yeah. Leopards, the Lee Leopards. He was, I thought he was really good. Um, so yeah, disappointing last game, but outside of that, it just shows you the, the the progress that these teams are making with a bit of resources. Um, now, on to New Zealand versus Fiji. Wow. Like, if I was concerned about Australia, <laughs> I'm super concerned about the Kiwis. They, yes, they can absolutely turn up. And yes, they absolutely can do anything on their day for sure. Absolutely. But if I thought the Aussies were clunky, New Zealand were even more clunky. Um 24 to 18, very lucky to get out of it. 
the call for the penalty to make it 20 to 18 was outrageous in my opinion. Um, I thought Fiji were absolutely incredible. I think they deserve a massive, massive rap for how they've played this whole series. And I think that one or two 50-50 calls go their way. And I genuinely believe we could have seen a, an Australian-Fiji semifinals. That's how close this game was. Kikau was outstanding on the edge there. Some of their defense in the middle, Kamakamitha. I mean, again, like you brought up before, Guru, we're talking about a team that was missing the Saifidi brothers. Mm. Like quite a few. Tarek Sims as well, did you say? Yep. He can play for them. So I'm ex- I'm extremely excited for Fiji. I'm extremely – and I'll tell you what, if they – if they have any chance of getting into New South Wales Cup, if they were even in close to discussions of it happening, that may, that may be the nail in the coffin for it to happen because they were f- absolutely outstanding. Um, but we'll talk about the Kiwis first. This is, this is a, this is, I'm really torn with this one because I thought Joey Manu, he, well, he did win them the game essentially. But I do think that he... If, if I had to be super critical, I still think he played outstanding. I still think that, like, without him, they probably don't win. But I also think that there were times where it just seemed to clunk the team up a little bit. Hughes and Brown never got into the game. Cheese never got into the game. And I think that, like, we, we have to remember Joe Manu, he hasn't actually played a lot of fullback over the last few years. And, like, this is a difference between, like, a, a Teddy and a Joey in regards to, like, I, I believe that Joey has the same ability as Teddy. But I think Teddy's experience of, like, knowing when to jump into hooker or when to, to, to make the choice to take the run or whatever is just that little bit of difference between him and Joey Manu at the moment. Rightly so. Teddy's been playing it for many years. I just felt that Joey, they may need to sit down the spine with each other and say, mate, like, we just need you to maybe just take a little bit of a step back sometimes so that we can get going. Because like, honestly, watching that game, like I can't recall a single time where I saw a good backline play, maybe, maybe off the scrum when Muller Talo scored, but in play when everything was going and shit's going everywhere, you don't know what's happening. They just, there might've been a handful of nice smooth <clears throat> plays outside of that. Didn't look like they were getting the points on the field. It just looked chaotic. Am, am I, am I crazy? Am I being too critical here? Again, I still think Joe Marnie was outstanding. I'm just being like from where the team perspective. No, I actually agree with you, mate. And this is something that as a Kangaroos fan actually fills me with a little bit of confidence because, and we've been saying this for a while, you see Marnie when he plays for the Chooks, he jumps in at 5'8", he jumps in at fullback and you know, he takes 35 runs and it's unbelievable no one's doing <laughs> that. But he'll have five passes and it becomes predictable to some extent in my opinion. But he's a juggernaut. But when you are coming up against the Kangaroos side, they missed seven tackles the other day, and we weren't happy with their performance. Like, this this team is a proper defensive unit, the Kangaroos. And I, I sort of, as a Kangaroos fan, I, I get a little bit of confidence out of knowing that if Joey Manu wasn't on the field the other day, they lose to Fiji, in my opinion. And I just think it does become a little bit predictable that you do know what he's going to do every time. You know he's going to run, and you want him to run, but I just think... It does look a little bit clunky and it does become a little bit of a one-man show and I think the Kangaroos will be able to handle it. I'm so glad to hear you boys say that because I was so torn at the end of the game. I was like, in my notes from I was like, Joey Manu, underwhelming, probably in attack, disappointing me a little bit. Then I'm like, I looked at the stats, he ran for 348 metres. I'm like, 
you can't say that about someone who runs that many meets. Then for you to come out and say it straight away, Kempsey, I'm like, I felt similar because, and, and again, you both said it, without him, they probably don't win the game. So it seems critical. But I just think, and, and it's another thing we've spoken over and over about, and it is his lack of ball playing ability, which I don't know if he doesn't have it or if he's just such a run first pass second mentality that he doesn't ever pass. But as good as their back line is and, and their halves and they're lacking the polish of that last pass, which Joey Money doesn't do. Guru and I spoke about this throughout the year quite often in supercoach terms that when he got moved into the halves at 5'8 or at fullback, how detrimental it was to the scoring, again, supercoach, uh, of the players around him because he just runs and runs and runs. And sometimes that isn't the best thing for your team. Uh, and, and it's as an Aussie fan, as you said, Kempi, it, I'm happy to see because I'm like, you know what, I think we've got an edge in that regard to just the polish on the end of our backline plays, which with, with Joey Manu, and there's another certain Roosters outside back, which we'll get to in a minute, who's the same boat with his ball playing, that I think it's where they're lacking. So does Joey Manu have the ball playing in him? I'm not convinced that he does, and, and I think that'll be a, a leg up for the Australians next week. Yeah, it's 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 a really interesting one, and I, I almost feel, I feel bad saying it because I'm like, he, they probably don't win. So the argument could be like, well, he was on the field. He could feel like nothing was happening. So it was like he took matters into his own hands. So mm. you could make the argument that it was more a case of nothing was happening and he just won it for him. So, you know, it's, it's a really tough one. But I just felt like Brown and Hughes almost looked a bit shell-shocked. Like they, they just didn't really seem like they had control of anything. And we're talking about Brown and Hughes. Like it's it's... It's another thing as well. When you look at the Rooster season, they did struggle with the fact that they had Teddy and Joey at the same time, just running constantly. And we didn't see until the end of the year, Sam Walker and Kiri come into their own when they finally found that beautiful balance. And it's just the concern for the Kiwis is, is do they have enough time to find that balance? And does has Michael Maguire, if he agrees, he may disagree, has he identified, I need to sit down and and sit down with the spine and get a real clear indication of, I guess, uh, what's the word? Rank, you know, mm-hmm. who, who is the guy that controls and says, Oh, no, no, bro, you're out there or you're here. You know, I, it's, it's a tough one. Cause Joey Manu's, I think he's the most capped out of the, the spine. Um, and so it's, I'm so torn on this one, guys. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the right answer is. Was it Joey Manu picking the team on his back and winning the game for him? Or was it was it periods where maybe just a bit too involved through the middle there? I think I it's know. both. I don't know what the answer. Is. I think it's both, yeah. and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer on it. He was lifting him on his back at times. He ran for 350 meters, uh, but there was a polish issue in the backline plays as well. So I think you're, you're right in both accounts. And I think it's the reality of it that you have these four incredible individuals in this spine. The reality of it, though, your fullback's learning how to play fullback. Your hooker's learning how to play hooker. And that, that's the reality of it at the end of the day. They are superstars in their own. But, you know, they, they, when you see Manu and Brandon Smith hunting around that ruck, it kind of reminds me of the old Canberra days where Leilua and Rapana would be at dummy half, and you just knew you wouldn't see the ball for the next three tackles. <laughs> and it's okay because they, they're so destructive and it's sweet. But I just think when you're playing against the Kangaroos, I, I just think it becomes a little bit one-dimensional. It's, it's where yeah. as well weather will, will play a role in the next uh, few games of this World Cup because Australia, while we said they're clunky, they've got so much stripe power out back. They've got Teddy that is the polish on the end of those backline plays. 
if it is raining uh, for these semi-finals, for the finals, which in England it rains 366 days a year, so it will be, hmm. they it's going to draw into the hands, like particularly if it's heavy rain where a lot of the expansive play is shut down. Joey Marnie running for 350 metres through the guts will yep. be perfect for the um, Kiwis. Yep. The same as England that maybe, I don't think it's controversial, I think there's, there's more firepower in the Kiwis in all the other three sides still left in the competition out wide. So if it's heavy rain, I think that plays into England's hands as well. Um, there you go. Especially yeah. when you consider <laughs> and, uh, the amount of front rowers the Kangaroos have lost to other nations. Yep. If we do get a wet track, rain, it's going to make life hard for we ourselves, wanna, I reckon. We want to play footy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree, boys. Um, but, you know, the, the thing is, I thought Mulatalo, outside of that one error that Mulatalo made, I thought he was absolutely electric. Um, you know, Tarpin had some good runs. Uh, Fisher-Harris had some great, you know, runs. Nelson on the edge, I'm still not sold on it, to be honest. I'm still not sold on it. Isaiah Papali'i came on and, um, you know, absolutely killed it. He ran for 141 metres uh, in 45 minutes. I just don't know whether – do you get as much mileage out of Melson on the edge as you do in the middle? I, lo- I like him on hit play two, skilling defenders. The whole set is completely different mm. with him in the middle. I understand why you do it. It's such a big advantage, but I just don't know. I, what, what do you guys reckon Nelson on the edge there? Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. We're hearing that uh, Nia Corey will come back into the side this week, whether he comes back as a second rower or potentially at centre, which is a sure. question I want to ask you soon, Kempi. But we'll get to that. Uh, but Nass, yeah, I'd be using him as a middle forward for sure. Was Nass on Kickow's edge? Yeah. Yes. It was I, like a massive battle. It was I, such a good battle. Yeah, I, I, I wonder... I wonder, and I think you're, you're right, Kempi, in what you're saying. So remember, was it a Penrith and Storm game back end of this year where they put Nass on the edge to combat kick hours, just that bigger body and needing the extra size? Because I think you're right, Kempi. I, I much prefer him in the middle in this side, particularly with, you mentioned, Nia Cora coming back yeah. into the mix. Uh, do they go... Papali, you could start. And, and like they're, surely, they're, surely Papali starts. Surely he plays... That's what I'm saying. Like I, I reckon that, you're right. You're not starting... Yeah. So was it a ploy to to try and minimise kick out potentially? But surely back. Well, to you the reckon middle. exactly like you reckon Papali'i can't handle kick out like yeah, Papali'i's like Dalliem. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I I get it. I I get the thinking. I think we all kind of get the thinking. He's big. He's fucking mobile for how big he is on a three defender. He just causes carnage. But I don't know. I, I just think that you know similar to what Mal did. Like he he put. He knew that Cam Murray is more of a middle player than an edge player, so he put him, brought him on in the middle. And I think that maybe you go, Papali is a back rower. He is one of the best back rowers in the comp. He's been probably the most consistent over the last two years. I think he should be on the field as much as he can, get Nelson in the middle for heaps of punch. Um, but, yeah, uh, outside of that, we'll have to quickly move on. Now, to be clear, Kiwi fans, as we said, if there is one side that can just turn up and fucking pull our pants down, it's the Kiwis. You've done it many times. And Guru, like you said earlier, there have been better teams on paper for Australia that have been beaten by arguably less informed Kiwi sides. So we are there. They honestly, I honestly would have going into this game, Australia versus New Zealand, maybe Australia 55 and uh, Kiwis 45%. This like, that's how mind. close this I have. This will blow your mind, Kempi. And I, I knew you'd say it because I thought quite similar. Have you have a guess what the odds are? Have a guess what the Kiwis are paying to win this game, both of you? 
I'm going to say like threes uh, now that you've spoken like that. 250. The Kiwis are 450 <laughs> and Australia are dollar 20. I know. Wow. I would, I'm ridiculous. not betting on the Kiwis because I would never bet against Australia in anything, no matter how good the bet, but 450. Madness. That's outrageous. Oh. That is absolutely outrageous. Mm. Hey, Kemi, can I ask you, before we move on, you've obviously got – I look at the both sides. I think they're really evenly stacked. For me, the difference is probably Latrell Mitchell in the centres that they've just got a juggernaut that you can throw the ball to. Do you leave Peter Hicko on him or do you potentially bring Ania Corey into that spot to try and handle Latrell? Oh, I think you've got to leave Ania Corey on there because you just if, – if sorry, Hicko. Is, is it Hicko on his side or is it Chance? No, it's Hicko. Hiku. I think you leave Hiku in there just because, like, you know, Latrell bumps front rowers. So it's kind of like if you bring in on Nakora for his strength in defense, he'll probably gas him. His footwork's good. So I think you've got to get a specialist center that is usually pretty good at positioning himself. We know Hiku is super strong. So I'd, I'd keep a specialist center on him. But I understand if they did go near Corey, I'd understand that because I'd be like, he's a big body and we know how good he is in defense. So, I, yeah, I get I get the, uh, the question for sure. What about yourself? Yeah, I'm sort of torn. I, I personally think this game will be decided there, how they handle Latrell. I think that both squads are so easy and every, even everywhere else. The Kangaroos have shown their hand. If there's one thing they have shown us over the last few weeks, the left edge is going to be their strike edge. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. So I think how, how they mark Latrell, which is heaps easier said than done, and I kept that, I think it'll, it will it will decide this one. Mate, Latrell is just so special, man. He is so special to watch, and you just constantly get reminded this guy is on another level. He's one of the best we've seen. On his day, he's one of the best player outside backs we've ever seen. And I know people don't, you know, that don't like Trell or whatever that don't want to hear that. You you can lie to yourself all you want. Everyone knows Latrell on his day is one of the best outside backs we've ever seen. Period. What about the um the centre that, that was marking him, young uh, Brad Morcos? <laughs> he tackled him in about the eighth minute. It was the most stock standard yeah, tackle yeah. of all time. But Latrell stood up, pissed off, and you just see Brad go, "Oh fuck, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in for some pain here." And he just blitzed him, yeah, poor yeah. bastard. Fuck, and that's that's a great thing about Latrell. Like he takes things personally. Yeah. He really does. Like you know the Michael Jordan meme, and I took he that literally personally. took getting tackled personally. You can <laughs> yeah. see right and that's what makes going, him oh, fuck this. No Here way. we go. I'm yeah. fucking about to deal with Latrell on his at his best for the next fucking <laughs> 40, 40 to sixty minutes. Um, now, quickly, just about Fiji guys. A star has been born. In my opinion, the biggest born star of this uh, tournament is Taruva. I think that he has been the guy that is really like I, Suwali'i I thought was like he's already a superstar to, to a degree. I thought he was really good yesterday. But when we talk about unearthing of a player in this tournament, in my opinion, it's Taruva. I think if I'm Penrith Panthers, I'm going, uh, can you please stop playing this guy? Because there is going to be 15 other clubs or 16 now that are going to ask about this guy's services. I thought he was amazing the other night. I think he's been outstanding all uh, tournament, and I think we're just seeing scratching the surface of this guy. Some of his positioning in fullback was elite. These tiny grubbers that were going in behind that most fullbacks wouldn't be there for. It was om- like, I'm not saying he's as good as Billy Slater, but it was similar to Billy Slater, Ryan Pappenhausen. 
immediately on your bike. And if you were on the short side or the long side and you saw the ball go there, you were just not not just jogging across and, oh, maybe you'll go through. You are full ball getting to the ball. He did it multiple times. He took brave, tough carries. I mean, he even went toe-to-toe with a great Tarpanet. Um, Taruva is the star, in my opinion, that has been unearthed by the World Cup. And I do not know how the Penrith Panthers get him into their side. Thoughts, boys? Yeah, I personally thought he was the best on ground. I understand why Joey Manu got, got it for the stats, but, mate, for Taruva to do that against the Kiwis and keep his team in it and, you know, a, a, a controversial call that potentially could, could have cost Fiji, I, I thought he was the best player on the ground by far and away. And how how Penrith get him into the team? Kempi, I've got no fucking idea how they do it. Who do you possibly take out of this side? It's just, I, I, I don't know how they do it. I mm. don't. It's it's crazy that they could have an injury anywhere in the back line and they might get better because this kid you know, is so good. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Storm when they had all those fullbacks and outside backs. <laughs> they lost Scotty Drinkwater. You know, I'm not saying they will lose Taruva because he has a very strong connection with the playing group and a very strong connection with the club. But honestly, how this kid, he should be playing first grade next year at fullback, in my opinion. Um Timmy, what do you think? Am I going too crazy here or, or you, you're, you're a fan of Taruva? Oh, mate, you're so good. And to answer the question on how the Panthers fit him in next year, they don't. There's just not mm. a spot. Uh, and the thing, again, broken record, but when I look at fullbacks that I either haven't seen a lot of or, you know, they've changed position, I just look at ball playing. We know nearly every one of them are strong, they're fast, they'll rack up big metres. Can they ball play? And Taruva had a few moments and a few beautiful oh. passes in this game where I was like, oh, shit, like, yeah, he's the package. He can yep, play. Absolutely. That ball to Nangama, people don't understand oh. how hard the timing is. For, first of all, Kevin Nangama, what a line, like Oof. one of the most beautiful center lines you'll ever see. But to hit that, like to so to basically hit an overs line, then straighten up and then hit that line, hit him at the exact moment he hits the line. People don't understand. That's what good, really good sevens do. Fullbacks doing that at a young age, this kid is something special, man. I, I think with just, Penrith, sorry, Cam, you cut you off, mate. Bit no, no, you keep going. No, 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 bit hard going. over the hour there. Um, <laughs> the fact that he played a bit of centre, it's, it's hard yards, boys. The fact that he played a bit of centre at New South Wales Cup level this year, if there is, that Penrith has just got to basically say to him, look, mate, you're one injury away from slotting straight in, in anywhere in this back line. You'll get games over origin period, that sort of stuff. So he'll get his games and, and he'll know that. But uh, if there's any niggles, they can slot him in there, no worries. So he'll be playing first grade next year. But in terms of a regular spot, there's not much of an opportunity is there. Yeah, and it, but it's also size of contracts are going to be offered to him. Oh, yeah. You know, after this World Cup, you're telling me there aren't clubs out there now. I'm just going to, you know, do you think the Tigers have a crack at him? I, I, I like Dane Laurie, to be honest with you. I'm a big fan of him. Oh, I, I, do, can I, get I this do as kid. well. Yeah. It's, isn't but it crazy? I was just thinking like a year ago, we were sitting here going, Stephen Crichton has to get reps at fullback. How are we going to get him a shot there? If yeah. Dylan Edwards got injured tomorrow, I wouldn't even consider Stephen Crichton a fullback <laughs> anymore. Yeah, it's Crazy. It's insane. It's it's absolutely insane. And, and you're right in regards to, don't get me wrong, I really rate Dane Laurie. Mm. But you're telling me that back line isn't better with a Taruva in the centres on the sting. Um, 
anyway, that was just a, a random throw out there. Uh, but it's going to be hard for the Panthers to keep him. It really is. I, I just don't know. You know, apparently Crichton is on a good wicket there, you know, on a fair bit of coin. So why would he leave? Then you've got Talon May, who, uh, honest, honestly, his shot on Keon Palomitani <laughs> oh. was outrageous. Outrageous. And the irony, they make, they mixed his name up in the naming of the names. They called him Tiny May. <laughs> well, Tiny May just drilled one of the best fucking back rowers in the comp, uh. and he's a winger. Um, that was a massive shot. And it just shows you, like, Talon May and To'o, they're pound for pound the strongest wingers in the comp. They're pound for pound the strongest wingers in the comp, and they were at the same club. Uh, but anyway, sorry, back to the Fiji side. Um I thought Kikau was outstanding. Look, Nangama in his last game for Fiji was incredible. Their forwards were outstanding. Wong, once again, I know he's your boy. But I thought Taniela Sadrugu was fucking amazing. They're number 11. He's, I, I really like what he's about. He's very strong in contact. Um, what do you got there, Guru? Kempi, I believe he's with the North Queensland Cowboys next year. I could, I could be wrong. Ooh. Matty Kick, can you check that? I'm pretty sure he is, though. So he could be Keep a really because I like him too. He, he's he's obviously yeah. won uh, eleven all comp and playing as a uh, as a middle four. But yeah, I, I like him. Oh mate, I really liked him. I really you know just this is physicality and contact. And we're talking about a, a Kiwi's forward pack here. We're not talking about fucking a lower tier nation. We're talking about a, a, a pack that is arguably the best pack in the in the whole comp World Cup. Also, I want to give a shout out to Kamakamitha. 176 meters, the most meters of any starting forward uh, against on the field against the Kiwis. I thought he was outstanding, and it just shows you how good that storm system is. That once again, they got another front rower that has come through, been developed, and he does that against the best forward pack, arguably in the comp. Um, anyway, so we've got to sorry guys, we've got to move on to Samoa Tonga because I've got to catch a flight to Amsterdam. Um, shit life, I know. Life's tough. Um, life is yeah, tough. It's tough. It's tough. It's very tough at the moment, boys. She's getting real tough, real stressed. Just need to get away, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, hey, be just before you do go, that fella, he is with North Queensland, and on his profile it says he's a winger. <laughs> oh, oh no way. Oh, man. we That doesn't make sense because I'm a winger. How does that – we are not in the same world. Um, okay, Tonga versus Samoa. What an incredible game of rugby league! The uh, the 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 war dancers before it. Apologies, I've forgotten the names of them. I know they're not. Um, they've got different names for it, but either one was one of the best I've ever seen in my life. The fact that they were going back and forth with it, seriously, chills the whole time. Incredible! Like what? Like if you watch that game and you say these teams. Sh- should have a three-game series in the middle of the year when Queensland play New South Wales. Let's do it. Let's block out the, the middle of the year. Let's get these these Polynesian um, countries playing in some kind of round robin or whatever it is, because that was incredible. It was amazing. Uh, the game was amazing, and I just want to say Samoa, Samoa, Toa Samoa. I am the Delhi and Palunga of the year, so um, you know, obviously. Winning that award, I have an affiliation with the uh, Samoan people. No, nah, just joking. Um, they were incredible. They were absolutely incredible. Now, this is a hard one because they definitely proved everyone wrong in the sense that they came out and they played really poorly in the first game 
and now they have done something that no Samoan team has ever done, and that is make a semi-final in the World Cup. Now, I'm still on the fence as to the whole, do their systems need to change and all that kind of stuff in regards to up top. And I, I'm unsure whether, is this a reflection of a very strong senior playing group? Or is this a reflection of, we were totally wrong and they have the right systems up top. This was just an anomaly, them losing to England like that. I will say, though, at the end of the day, what I'm this is just all talk. The actions are clear for us. That whole team, the whole squad, including the admin, just made a semi-final for the first time ever. That is all that matters right now. And it is incredible. I think a lot of people deserve uh, Jerome Loy deserves a bit of fucking apology. A lot of people need to eat a bit of humble pie. You may not like him because he's got a bit of attitude. You may not like him because he's a dad of a lot of people, which is, you know, it's actually used to be a really beautiful thing to be a dad, but clearly not. Um, you know, this guy has answered the critics better than you could ever answer the critics. He is the first six ever in Samoan history to take them to a semi-final. Anthony Milford. Anthony Milford. I thought I thought he had a Broncos jersey on in 2015. I mean, was he as explosive in, in, in attacking regards to his running game? No, he wasn't. But his defense was incredible. He, he managed the game. I mean, I didn't even know whether he was their best seven. And he comes out and he does that. He was incredible. Probably my man of the match. Probably my man of the match. Absolutely. I'm so happy for the MILF. He's been through so much for him to be able to do that for his heritage. What an incredible moment for Samoa. They have copped so much press, and including me as well. I was really disappointed with them. Not, not necessarily I thought the players could get the job done, but I just was really disappointed with them in that first game. But they have gone out and done what you do in those situations to shut everyone up. You get the fucking job done. You don't talk. You don't this. You get the job done, and that's why they did it. Garena? Yeah, mate, I, I think you summed it up really well there. I, what, what you said about um, Jerome Luai, I mean, they got smashed in that first game. I don't know if I can ever hold a 16-0 drumming to a 5-8, to be honest with you, but everyone seemingly did. <coughs> he came out and played two lesser nations. He was the man of the match in both of them. He was still copping shit then. People saying, oh, it doesn't matter. It's, those. it's like... Who do you want him to fucking play? Was he meant to play the team he wasn't scheduled to play? What, what, do you want him to jump ship? What did you like? He did what he was meant to do. He played incredibly well. He came into this game. He played unreal. Anthony Milford was sensational. I egg on my face. I wouldn't have picked him, Kempi. I would have gone Chanel Harris to leader one hundred percent, and I would have been so confident in that decision. Uh, but Milf, he was great. He really did wind the clock back there. Another one, Tim Lafai. Oh, I didn't realize oh. Tim Lafai was playing rugby league six weeks ago. He, he has been he's come in and done a really good job. He's been really impressive in this World Cup. Mate, Tim Lafay, watch that and I go, uh, how has this guy got brushed from the like not brushed, but couldn't essentially, from what I understand, get a contract four or five years ago in an NRL site? Like we're talking about a guy that was working on a I'm pretty sure a construction site and then got an opportunity, I think, with the Salford Devils, is it? Yeah, it's so. Salford. And yeah. decided Salford, sorry. And he decided to just, all right, I'll give it one last crack. He, he's he been outstanding since he got the opportunity to come into the first grade side. And it's just such evidence of like, so there's so many players out there that for some reason, whether they don't have the connections or their manager just doesn't pull the right strings, they just get lost to the NRL. And you go, this kid could have been playing NRL for the last four or five years. He was incredible. Um, so Ali'i, I thought um, 
you know, his ball playing definitely needs work. There's no denying that. But I thought some of his ball running, though, holy shit. This kid's 19. That, that run he did at the middle. There's only one guy in rugby league that could have had that run, and it's him. Mm. Oh, insane. Insane. Timmy, what do you think about Samoa? Yeah, I mean, the game in general, boys, I think we, we spoke about last week, we didn't know who the halves were going to be for each game, for each side going into it. And it was the storyline heading in for me, and it's the storyline coming out of it. You had Jerome Luai, this uh, dual premiership winner, the star of the halves and the one of the stars of these sides, looking to get out of his little mate, sparring partner, Nathan Cleary's shadow. Anthony Milford, who, you know, the maligned former superstar who's playing for his career. Isaiah Katoa, who's probably going to be the next superstar in our game. Then Tui Lola here, the journeyman, plying his trade overseas, you know, evidently maybe not good enough for the NRL. And every single one of them had some fantastic moments in this game, all for different reasons. And I just, I love the spectacle of how that played out. Uh, Samoa, so an interesting one. Like, they played some terrific footy. I thought they could have been a lot better in a lot of areas, which makes you think, well, how far can they go if they, if they do put it all together? You know, if we can just bring it into ourselves to put a line to that first game against England and we're going to know in seven days' time. I don't know. They made so many just silly errors and gave away a few stupid penalties that they can't afford to do against England. Uh, and if they can get through to the game final, uh, World Cup final, they won't be able to get Australia and New Zealand because you'll get punished. But look, they've turned up, they've answered the critics and they're, they're through to a semi-final and couldn't be happy for them, to be honest. Yeah, t- totally agree. You know, like I agree in regards to, even though the game was a, you know, a uh, real spectacle, so enthralling to watch, there were some really silly areas from both sides. Like really silly areas that you do that against Australia, New Zealand, and most likely England, you're getting punished for it for sure. I do like the fact that Samoa seem to have all gotten the same page of like, no, we're going to offload. We're going to offload and offload a lot. Uh, I think they even doubled Tonga's offloads, and I think that's, um, I think Junior Paolo really. Uh, Bolo really um, led the way in that in that kind of. I think he's been a really good, uh, not pickup because he is part of the team, but it's been really good for them as a leader. Um, I mean, he's captain, isn't he? He's captain. Um, yes, or he some is. Other side. Yeah. yeah, I think that he's had a really big role in their bounce back because just I thought he was outstanding in the middle, especially the tough stuff. Um, and so I agree with you, Timmy. There were some really silly errors, but. It's exciting because, like, you go, what could this Samoan mm. team be if they get it all together? Like, they just beat Tonga, who has beaten every top-tier nation, um, well, at least Australia and New Zealand. Uh, but, yeah, like, for example, Junior Paolo's, Paolo's stats is 192 metres, 64 post-contact, 14 runs, three tackle breaks, 29 tackles, four offloads, and a line-break assist. Like, what a knock for a, for a front-row forward. Um, you know, so... It's just, and then Papali'i came on. He was incredible. So even if even if they go out and they get beaten convincingly by England, I still think that this is a massive success for Samoa to knock off Tonga in a quarterfinal of all teams. Incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. Uh, anything else on Samoa quickly before we go to Tonga and then I've got to bounce? Yeah, I was just having a quick look, obviously. And I, I, I agree with you both. A lot of uh, um, you know errors in that game that, that just shouldn't be happening. Just had a look at the stats. They made five errors. Kangaroos made 14. The Kiwis made 13. So, like, considering... Well, it's like, it, it's like, yeah, go, Kang. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, I was going to say, it's like, it was like little stuff, like, you know, yeah. Suali'i lifting his leg, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I, I, I expected it to be much higher than yeah. five from watching the game. So it's yeah. it, it's a good sign for him. Yeah, it was, it was almost more, more off the boy. I saw yeah. Lee lifting his knees. Bolo with two minutes to go with the, the elbow up on the opposition <laughs> try line and gave another chance. He's like, just when you thought, all right, this hectic game is going to peter off last couple of minutes, like, nah, we've got more life left in this. Yeah, oh. yeah. Um, it, it, so some are like, yeah, a couple of silly things and also like, they probably had some – I felt like they controlled most of the game, so they probably could have scored more points. But we're, we're being super critical when we talk about that. Like, this was an amazing moment for Samoa. They played the best game I've ever seen Samoa play. Milford played the best game I've seen him play in so many years. I'm so happy for him. They should all be incredibly proud of themselves. What a moment for Samoa and Rugby League. And think about how many players are going to be more in, interested in representing their culture – oh, sorry, their heritage – um, for Samoa it, it, going forward, you know, we, we really could see a real, not a resurgence, but a, a, a rise of Samoa. When you look at this, I mean, they've got multiple people injured as well. Um, you got Tango, uh, you've got oh, who else was the other big guy injured? Uh, Josh Alloy, Hamiso, like, Hamiso, like anyway. So great stuff, incredible stuff. Well done, Samoa. Um, Josh Schuster isn't Tonga. there either. Oh, yeah, Schuster's yeah, yeah, amazing. Now, quickly on to Tonga. Disappointing for sure. Just the errors killed them. Absolutely killed them. Uh, I just, you're just not going to win a game against quality opposition when you make as many errors as they did. And some of them were so uncharacteristic. Like, some of them were from their, their most experienced players, and you're going, what, are you, what is going on there? Like, 11 errors. Um, is, is just it's just too much in a game that is that important, you know. It's it's kind of like it's like Origin, for example. Like if New South Wales or Queensland came out made eleven errors and the opposition made five, you'd go, well, there's your problem. Like that's it, you know. It's too high of a game to do that. Um, but I don't think, you know, look, Lola here had some really good moments for sure. But at the same time, like I I do think there were periods in the game where he just struggled to rein the control back in, and then I think that you know Katoa. It's interesting. You know, I talked about Katoa. I said the one thing that is concerned for me is his defense. It, just because he's so young, where was the first try scored? Yeah, and you've seen That's, yeah all, all the decent teams they've played against this entire World Cup. They've gone at him. You obviously saw Labert. He put Reese Martin over for the first try. Then they they, they, they put Jaden Sewer up against him there. So, yeah, as can be said, as you'd expect from an 18-year-old playing his first few games against men. Uh, but it was definitely something that they picked out. Yeah, well, it's just, it's evidence of like when you get top tier, they got video and they got smart players. They have sat down and gone, boys, first set, we're going straight to him because at the very least, if he makes a tackle, he's going to be rattled by how hard he gets hit by Sua. Um, outside of that, I thought he, I did I thought uh, the first try Tonga scored though. He was key to it. He dug right into the line and it was a beautiful ball out the back um, to Will Hopawadi. So I don't think it's like dire straights at all for Tonga. I really don't. I think Samoa really rose to the occasion. Um, I do think that they probably they just let themselves down with the error. I think if they put it this way, if, if it's five errors each, you'd probably say Tonga may win. Um, but it wasn't. It wasn't. Samoa, they kept way less errors, got the job done. Uh, and it's just it's a it's so good to see this like this these two nations that are so important to rugby league just growing and growing and growing. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do going forward. Uh, you know, I'd say Olakawatu not being inside, 
I think a bit strange in my opinion. Um, I probably would have had him there um, unless he's injured. So apologies if he's injured. Uh, and I guess going forward, they're probably the 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 question will be is do we hand the keys over to Katoa next World Cup and then try to bring in maybe a moan as the six and seven. So the good thing for Tonga is there definitely is a positive future ahead. It just was a disappointing game in regards to the things they can control. They, they didn't, unfortunately. What do you reckon, boys? Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I was a little bit disappointed with Tonga throughout this World Cup. I came in here thinking Australia, New Zealand, Tonga. I probably had them um, in yeah. front of England. Maybe that was me underestimating England. Maybe I was overestimating Tonga. I don't know. But when I have a look at their forward pack and the back line they've got, <coughs> as I said, I thought they were lucky to beat PNG, beat Wales, beat Cook Islands as they should have. But then I you know, I, I was pretty surprised that um, Samoa beat them. And I know, as you said, Kempi, rose to the occasion. There's no bigger occasion for Tonga either. I'm, I'm yeah. a little bit disappointed. As you said, though, a heap of young talent. Uh, you've obviously got Kola, Katoa, you know, all the Colum and Tungy, all these young guys, Sonny Luke, that are all going to build to till the next World Cup. And I think they're going to be a strong side then. But considering they're a team that beat the Kangaroos th- two years ago, three years ago, I, I thought they'd go further in this World Cup than what they have. Yeah, no, well, I agree. I agree. I think y- you could say... It's not doomsday, but it also is disappointing. I think they would have expected, at the very least, they'd be in a semi-final. Um, really interesting about Sonny Luke in attack. He is silky, bucky silky. But once, as soon as he got on, again, really good management by Samoa. They just went, let's go straight at Sonny Luke. They spotted him up, um, and you know they, they they did find some some I guess some um, momentum there. So it's going to be interesting to see as he's transitioning into first grade how he handles. Um, you know, again, this is this is par for the course for nearly any rookie coming into first grade. Defense is the hardest thing to get right because it's, especially when you're a smaller player. Um, but in attack, though, Sonny Luke, he's silky, man. They, I felt like they looked much better in attack when he was on the field. Um, but yeah, obviously in defense, they they spotted him up. Uh, Timmy, what do you think about Tonga? Yeah, I think Katoa, like the sign of him just going to be an absolute. I think he could be a superstar. You touched on it, Kempi. Digging in deep, not only for that first try, but how deep he went into the line. It was like Cody Walker-esque as a small-bodied 18-year-old, young adult growing into it, well, teenager, growing into his body with big boys on the other end. He'd just go deep into the line, turn his back. I'm just like, oh, that is the sign of a tough, tough player. So, you know, he certainly hasn't lost any admirers. A few little... Um, defensive lapses here and there, which is just experience in the game. He, he doesn't have that experience, and he'll learn so much from it. Uh, with Guru, a little bit disappointed by Tonga. I thought they'd go deeper. I just think with that forward pack, how bloody good it is, I just thought they'd try and just knock the door down through the middle. When they did and they just went, thought, all right, don't worry about going laterally. Let's just go through the middle, through the middle. They'd get on these rolls, and they were, like, unstoppable. Um, I wish they sort of, maybe I'm too much of a simpleton, but I would have probably tried to play through the middle a little bit more. Uh, and then just Dave Fafita played 35 minutes or something. Uh, again, I, I don't I don't know why. I just think even if Kempi, they did play him in the middle like we touched on during the year because they had so many edge back rowers, I think that would have been fine. We saw during this that I think Kaloa Matangi went to the middle and Fafita came on on the edge. I think they had so many opportunities and they maybe missed a couple, but... Yeah, there's... But they did the same thing during the season as well. They had Ola Kuatu on the bench. They used him for like 20 minutes. 
I don't some, I don't understand no. how they're using some of their full. I know it's a stacked pack, but your Fafitas and and you know your Olakawatus. I just think they got to be on the field for. Longer. And th- there hasn't been any word around Ola that I've seen, but he had to be injured, didn't he? Like, how does he not make the seventeen for Tonga? I'm just I've jumped to the conclusion like, it has to be injured. Imagine yeah, not. Yeah, he must him. have been. <clears throat> he yeah. ha- it must have been. He was one of the best back rowers last year. Yeah. Like. He was outstanding for most of the year, and he's just so destructive. Um, so surely he was injured. Um, yeah, so look, I, I agree with you, in guys, in regards. A little bit disappointing. I guess I'm glass half full in regards to I felt like Samoa really rose to the challenge. And also I'm excited for the fact that they finally found a half that's a genuine I believe he's going to be a genuinely quality half, which is a scary thing because once he gets to his 24, 25 years old, and let's say he does go on to be the next better half in the comp and he's in a Tonga forward Ooh. pack, fucking scary as anything, scary as anything. Um, anyway, guys, I've got to bounce. I've got to bounce. Uh, thank you all for listening. Make sure to grab a case of bloke in a bar. If you enjoy this content and you uh, want us to keep growing, we're, we're doing bigger and better things next year. Trust me. So grab a case of bloke in a bar from your local. We've got a store located on our website. Thanks, Timmy. Thanks, Guru. Appreciate it. Uh, as usual, I'll uh, go and fuck myself. Thank you.